There's a lot to say when buying a new home or car, but only one thing to say that can help you protect them. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. And just like that, a State Farm agent will be there to help you choose the coverage you need, no matter where you are in life. When you need coverage options, your State Farm agent is there to help, on the phone or in person. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash Wondery and use code Wondery for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash Wondery, code Wondery. Welcome to the ID10T podcast number 999, triple nine. This is a fun episode, but before we get to that, um, I'm going to be performing in Nashville and Salt Lake City, so if you are also in those cities, then come to the place where I'm performing, and we will be in the same space together occupying um, a comedy venue. In Nashville, it will be Zanies, and then in Salt Lake City, it will be Wise Guys. The former is uh, May 30 through June 1, and then the latter is the weekend after. So go to ID10T.com to get tickets to that, and if you have your own event, that you would like to promote or thing or whatever it is, you can email us at events at id10t.com. Like Amanda who writes, I did a thing. I decided to take a chance and go on a wild adventure. I made my own horror movie. I wrote, directed it, edited it. Uh, Family Covenant is now available to stream on Amazon. Thank you so much, Chris, for uh, the courage to do my thing. Well, I may have encouraged you, but you summoned the courage to make a horror movie that now Lydia and I are definitely going to have to watch because we watch everything. So Amanda, we're going to get to watch your movie. So thank you so much for making it a uh, family covenant. That's a big undertaking, by the way. I mean, that is <laughs> to write and direct and edit your own horror movie is a pretty spectacular accomplishment and should be inspiring to anyone who's like, Oh, I don't know if I can make a thing. This, this lady did all of those things and her movie is now on Amazon. So whatever you're working on, or you want to do, you can absolutely do because um, that, man, Amanda, I'm blown away by that. Where did you get the money? Where did you get the time? Where did you get the patience and the energy? You know, it's the editing process that freaks me out the most. I'd be so curious to hear how, how it was for you, Amanda, and what you learned. Send another email. I'd love, to, I'd love to really follow up on this. And then Lids and I will absolutely watch this. Congratulations. Seriously, congratulations. Um, also, Arlo writes... My friend did a cool thing I thought I'd share. His name is Ryan Talmo, a stand-up comic in Los Angeles. He's just released a live album he recorded uh, while in the middle of chemo treatments battling lymphoma. Uh, super badass. It's called My Lymphoma, and you can find it on iTunes and Spotify and all those places. Well, that is another thing that I'm absolutely going to check out. Ryan, um, that is inspirational, uh, especially when I think most comics... You know, oh, I don't know if I feel like going out and performing tonight. You know, like we make excuses, we get lazy. Uh, and to hear what you have gone through and you still manage to get yourself up on stage and not only do comedy, but also talk about it. So, I mean, two incredibly impressive uh, 
uh, corkboards today. Um, thank you so much to both of you, and thank you for being inspiring to me and to everyone else who's listening. Also, events at ID10T.com is how you're going to get your corkboard uh, event up. So do that. This episode is Linda Cardellini, who is a dear longtime friend of mine. We've known each other since 1998. Oh, that's a long time. And uh, and I'll, I tell the story in here, but um, Linda's kind of responsible for me doing stand-up. Um, so if you hate my stand-up, then, it's, then I'm just going to say it's Linda's fault. But if you enjoy it, then Linda gets a lot of credit, as you will find out. And our paths have crossed so many times throughout the years. We were on a show together, and then we did, then we did Sanjay and Craig together. Um, and um, she is just a dynamite human being, really funny, really cool, and so unbelievably talented. So first, um, she's in a movie called La Llorona. I don't know how you can not say it that way. I don't know how you could say the curse of La, 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 Llorona, which I believe is in theaters as, as we speak, as I'm saying this now, um, which is May the 5th, 2019. And also... You have got to watch Dead to Me on Netflix. That's a series she co-stars in with Christina Applegate, which is phenomenal. When when I recorded this, I'd only seen two episodes, but Lydia and I watched the entire ten episodes, and it's it's phenomenal. I mean, like, Emmys will be nominated for this show. I have no doubt. It's so funny and so fucked up in the best way. So uh, check out Dead to Me and uh, and Linda Cardellini, is, who's been in a million things... That are that you've probably seen, and if you haven't, you should. Um, but uh, she's the best, and I was so glad that she was. It's our first time on the podcast, episode number nine ninety nine. Uh, here's Linda Cardellini, and we roll the thing. Initiating ID ten T protocol. This is technically a Sanjay and Craig reunion. Yeah, oh my god, I forgot, you're right. And then technically a Guys Like Us reunion. And just an in-life reunion. And an in-life reunion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like we should give, I just want to give a little bit of Could you do history it? so, so people, memory. so in 1998, uh, Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in the 1900s, we were on a, a sitcom on a network that we outlived. Mm. Wait, did you? We might have outlived a few at this point. <laughs> did UPN? Did UPN merge with the WB to become the CW? Is that how that worked, or did that have anything to do? Boy, I, that's like. Or the UPN just ceased to beyond exist beyond my scope. Of the United Paramount <laughs> Network was a short-lived network. That's what it stood for. I didn't even know what it stood for. Yeah, the United Paramount Network. They called it UPN. Right. Okay. I called it the Up and Coming Network, and they never thought that was funny. Right. But okay. they uh, so we did a a sitcom that was very much. It was it was similar to Two and a Half Men in the sense that I had a, a roommate who was played by an actor named Bumper Robinson, and he was left with his little brother who was played by an actor named Maestro Horrell, and I was the sort of fuck up roommate 
And then you played... The plucky chick that worked <laughs> at the record store who had a crush on you. <laughs> she wore purple lipstick, pleather pants, and was very sarcastic. She was an alt, an alt rocker chick, yeah. kind of. Yeah. yeah. And, then, uh, and then that show... It was so funny because that season they had... They were like, we're going to do five nights a week of primetime programming. We're going to build this... And they had all these shows. And then within like four months... Everything was gone. Yeah, and so it like that didn't that didn't last very long. What did we do? Thirteen. We did thirteen. Yeah, because we thought we were going to get picked up for the back nine. We're like, what are they going to do? They don't, you know. Right. Let's all buy cars. Right. Right. <laughs> and then uh, plucky neighbor doesn't really get to buy cars the pl- like the leads. <laughs> but, yeah. And so that was pretty much that. But then we became friends, and you. Oh, that's right. You're kind of part of the reason why I started doing stand up. Did you know that? I have heard you say that before. Mm-hmm. Because you, because your roommate, Elizabeth Beckwith, mm-hmm. who is hilarious, brilliant, was Wonderful performing in well. Westwood at the Gypsy Cafe, and you and I went because she was performing, and I think Seth Rogen was performing, because you guys had just Maybe, done Freaks yeah. and Geeks. And oh, was that much further along? Yes. Okay. And... So we were all there, and I went. Was it at the brewery or it was, somewhere? No, it was at the Gypsy Cafe. Oh, the Gypsy Cafe, okay. And, um, and then you t- took me to the show, and it was so much fun. And I discovered this, like, hive of cool alternative comedy shows. And, um, and I was like, I should start doing this. And I started doing it the next week. And I've been doing it ever since. You're welcome. Thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Good thing I never did it, though, by the way. I was never tempted. I was too terrified. That's a terrifying job, stand-up comedy. I mean, if you don't have the, if you don't have the weird compulsion to do it, no. it's not like you need to do it. And no, I never did. But I, watching it, I saw how, like, because some audiences are so kind and some audiences are so cruel. And the worst audiences were always when it was the other stand-ups in the audience. Yeah, I mean, it's... Well, yes, because they're <laughs> yeah. watching and judging. Yeah. Totally. Or, or they see it coming. It's like it's like a magician performing for magicians. Yeah, I see where that's going. I see where that's going. But it is... Like, stand-ups like speed dating. You just immediately are, are in a relationship with an entity that happens to be a group of people and you have to figure out how to make it click. Yeah, I used to love to watch Liz. She was so fun to watch. She was I'd amazing. i everywhere and watch her, yeah. My favorite bit of hers was the uh, the air parentheses bit. Oh, yeah. Where she's like, yeah. a lot of people do air quotes. I do air parentheses. <laughs> and then she would just start saying stuff with her hands up, like yep. cupped. Yep. Oh, my God, I hate myself so much. You know, yeah. she just had such a great energy. You're still friends with Lizzie, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Just saw her, like, last weekend. Oh, my God. Yeah. It's, so, it's so incredible. Yeah. She's a writer on Speechless. Yeah. And uh, Gloria Calderon is also a friend of mine from college, uh, runs one day at a time. And so... And a bunch of other friends of ours from college all got together. I want, to, I want Linda. Let's talk about your journey from guys like us to <laughs> to today. To today, yeah, exactly. Well, actually, it's because it predates guys like us. Did you know for freaks and geeks after? Way guys after, like yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. I mean, I guess not way after. It felt way after, it but I was like, like right ninety nine because it's going to be the twenty year reunion. Jesus Christ! Yeah, you're telling me. Are you guys going to? Are you doing something? I don't think so. I've, two other. It's funny because I'm doing so much press for the stuff that's coming out that I didn't know that it was the 20 year anniversary and so uh, other people told me I had no idea yeah I don't know why I mean I feel like Judd and Feig should just like just do a one episode class reunion where you guys just all show up at a school reunion yeah it was so funny the other day I was I was getting out of the car and this kid was like hey he was maybe 20 he was like hey he's like I just want to say I love Freaks and Geeks I said, thank you so much he said I hope you get a second season <laughs> 
And it was completely deadpan. He was either brilliant at his delivery or he was serious. I didn't know which, but it made me laugh so hard. Is, is Freak Sneak on Netflix? It used to be. It's not anymore. I don't know where it is now. Oh, shit. Yeah. That's really crazy. Well, there's so much shifting around with all the platforms. I know. I don't know how to, like, who has what and where you find what. And I am well acquainted with Netflix, but I don't understand how they're putting stuff on and taking stuff off works. I don't know if it's, like, a certain amount of years. They license for a certain amount of time, and then they can re-up or it expires. But I think what they're finding is that a lot of... um, a lot of shows that were on a long time ago are like some of their biggest, you know, because it's like comfort food for people. And a new generation of people get to discover a, gr- a great show, you know, like a good show is a good show. Yeah. Well, that's what's crazy about it is when the show got canceled. It's just back then everything just went into oblivion. You never saw it again. Right. And now it, it, there's literally kids that come up to me and talk about how they've watched it. And it's like new to them. What did you do? Right. What I mean, you worked. You've worked pretty regularly since the the Titanic that was guys like us. But it- <laughs> <laughs> I've also withstood a few of a few of those, yes. And it, and so what was your like where did you what, what, Okay, yeah. before I th- the first show I ever did was called Bone Chillers, which was a Saturday morning kids show. And that was my first job, which was amazing. And I it was a kids scary Saturday morning show and I did 13 episodes of that and then I Probably did maybe a few things in between and then did Guys Like Us. I did a show for AMC before they had any real, like, original programming success called The Lot. I did, I think, eight episodes or something like that and then it never went. And then when Freaks and Geeks came along, I remember the, the pilot season before that, I had gotten very close on two other things and my heart was completely <laughs> broken. And then the next year, Freaks and Geeks came along. And, and then that sort of made people see me for the first time really right I thought that was the first thing and so people often think that's the first thing I ever did but I was working for several years before that's usually the case it's yeah. like the first time someone sees you go oh this person came out of nowhere and then you look at their IMDP and you're like oh my god yeah no they've been around yeah. they've been around for a while yeah I feel like that still might happen to me sometimes I'm like oh <laughs> I mean it feels like things are pretty okay at the things moment things are going great right this moment right this moment things are things are really fun yeah but you know what it's just that you have such a foundation of you have such a body of work that it's not – I almost feel like you you don't want to be the person who literally comes out of nowhere because then you don't have any history to fall back on, you know? It's like you you can – you know, there there are there is like the one Ashton Kutcher story of like he stepped off the bus and he was on a sitcom and then everything worked out after that. Right. But usually like even if someone gets a crazy break the first time – that doesn't – it's like to sustain in the business is a whole other Yeah, that set. is a, it's a whole different thing. Yeah. Are you a good auditioner? You must be a good auditioner. No, I, I mean I, I think I have I, – it goes – it comes and goes for me depending, you know? So really? Sometimes. I still audition for things. So yeah, sometimes it works out. And do you are – you, you, are you someone that like – do you know the stuff back to front when you go into a room? Do you know the exact choices you're going to make or do you kind of let it happen in the room? Uh, that's a little bit of everything. You know, it changes for me, depending, too, because sometimes I'll be working. You know, I auditioned for um, Green Book while I was shooting La Llorona, which is, like, had the crazy schedule at night. Right. And I, which I actually shot before Green Book, but it's, of course, coming out after. But um, but I had, like, barely any time to look at that stuff. 
barely any time to sort of work on any of it. And I, I went in there and, and I thought it was going to be kind of casual. And Vigo was sitting there with Peter and a camera. And I thought, oh, shit. Um, but, you know, it, it's great. Sometimes it works out. Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes, you know, back in the day, I used to know everything backward and forward because I, kind of, I came from theater. So right. it was like you just knew your lines and that was the way it went. And then as time goes on and you're working and you're trying to multitask and be a mom and do all this stuff, you know, sometimes I, I need that page more than I used to. Yeah, but but the other side of it is that the longer you do it, the less precious you get about each one thing. You're like, well, I either get this or I won't. Yeah, yeah. Well, you also realize that that sometimes it doesn't hinge on exactly what you do in the room. Right. Sometimes there's a lot of other things happening before you get there. The reading was great. We need someone with green eyes. Yeah, oh, okay. Yeah, All yeah. right. Well, I can't do anything about that. Yeah. But that business. But the business does condition you. I mean, you you can fight it all you want, but the business does condition you to just get really good at not worrying about the stuff that you can't control. Yes. And I think that comes and goes too. for me personally. Like sometimes I'll be very good at like releasing that. And other times I'll, I overthink and drive myself nuts. Yeah. Because it, I think it's good for people to hear that because anyone who's seen your career probably feels like the jig's got it all figured out. Oh, she really? Yeah, wow. I think so. Wow. But I'm really doing a great acting job. No, especially after like, I mean, Mad Men was spectacular thank you that was a that was a that show was amazing i you know got to walk into a really great part yeah i know but it but it's but you i don't know you belonged there like it wasn't like do you when you go on to when you come on to a show like that or when you come on to something or you sort of look around at the landscape of like oh this person is on this and this person and then this director and this are you pretty good at being able to say like well i you know like i Deserve to be like I should be here. Yes, of course. I worked hard to get here, and I'm comfortable with it. Or, or do you feel comfortable in those situations? Um, I don't know if I think about it in that way. Um, I don't know if I ever feel a hundred percent confident about anything, for instance. But uh, but but sometimes, you know, I, I do feel like if I love the part and I want to play the part, I love being on set. I love being around people. I love the community of it, you mm-hmm. know, and, and I like the process of it. I mean, it's, it's grueling at times, but every job is, and we're lucky to have this kind yeah. of job, but, um, but I just, I really like it. So being there and doing it is the fun part. And then the worrying about it is, comes after, I think, uh, you know, <laughs> then like you get 80, home and you like Monday morning quarterback yourself and you think, Oh God. Um, but no, I just, I really like it. I really like working. I think that's the thing that has sustained me is I, I actually enjoy it and I like doing different stuff. Yeah, I mean, it's the majority of memories that I have from hanging out were like these insane house parties that you, yeah, the yeah, three yeah, of yeah. you, because there was another roommate. Was that yeah, Brian? Brian, yep. Yeah, the three of you would have these insane, you were in like West LA, I think, like uh-huh. on Westwood Boulevard uh, or something. Yeah, close to, yeah. And it was a du- you know, Beverly Glen. Some kind of du- duplex or fourplex yeah, or something. Yeah, it was a fourplex. And, uh, and it was just, you know, it's like one of those old Los Angeles buildings that everyone, that everyone lives in at some point or another when they come to Los Angeles. And it was just like people all inside and spilled out all over the driveway. Yeah, well, I lived in the dining room. <laughs> I didn't even have a real room. <laughs> we were in college and they were like, we're going to rent a place. Do you want to live with us? And I said, well, sure. And they said, we don't really have a room for you. And so I looked at it and I thought, well, I really wanted to live with them. We had so much fun together. And I said, I'll live in the dining room. So we put a bed in the dining room. So when we would have parties, we would push that bed, I think, into the other room and let that be the dance area. But then I'd have to <laughs> – or my bed would just be in there. It was like, you know, a little single bed pushed against the wall. But you had to walk through the living room – 
you had to walk through my bedroom and then get to the kitchen. So it's it's funny like what you are willing to put up with when you're when you're like in college. Oh, put up with! I loved it. <laughs> I loved it. Like, I lived Stop there. Stop making out of my bed. What are you people doing? Oh my god! I lived there for so long until it. You know, my neighbor was. Uh, she was a night person, let's just say, and uh, and she always had things happening in her apartment, so it was loud. Right. And the dining room butted up right against her her living room or whatever. So I had that room in the dining room. That was my where I lived until I was on Freaks and Geeks. And in the middle of Freaks and Geeks, my call times would be so early that I'd be so tired because my neighbor was loud, which I didn't mind before. Right. Um, but then having to get up and go to work, so I had to move when I was on Freaks and Geeks. Oh, that sucks. But only because I was forced to. Yeah. Do you, and now, in success, do you find that you have designed a room? And <laughs> Does your bedroom look like a dining room? <laughs> well, that's a good question. No, no. Uh, we didn't have any dining. It was never a dining room. It was like my bureau and like, you know, a, a bed. But uh, But my house, you know, I do love to have people in my house. I grew up in a house where... Everybody came over. We always had people living with us or staying with us. It was a joke to see who was on our couch. Right. Because um, I had such a big family and people would just come and stay. Um, so I love having a lot of people. So when it's just, you know, you know, a small amount of people, it's, it feels very quiet. Where did you grow up? Northern California. You were in Northern Around California. San Francisco, yeah. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. And so the Cardellinis were a big Italian, like, give it. Well, the Italian side was, wasn't as big as my Irish side. My mom's side is Irish and uh, Irish American. But the, um, that side, my mom's of seven. And so. They, everybody had kids, and so that side just grows and grows and grows. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So there probably already was, like, sleeping in a dining room at some point. You're oh, absolutely. stuffing kids absolutely. wherever they can, they can fit. Yeah. But you have one child. Yes. And did you ever think, like, someday I'm going to have, like, ten kids and have yeah, a I always, big... Yeah, I always thought, I w- always thought it would be more than one. But it just is, you know, turns out that we have one. So. <laughs> and one. And one is a lot. Exactly. So, so, you know, and she's amazing. So it's good. We get, you know, it would be nice to have more too, but we have her and that's good. I don't know if I buy the theory that, you know, some people are like, you know, once you have one, two is just like a little bit more work because they keep each other entertained. And I'm like, but they also plot and they yeah. also can cause twice the damage or exponentially like four times the damage. Yeah. Or just having th- three even being outnumbered. Like yes, something too. I was I was advised to never be outnumbered by your kids. Yeah, because then there's always, you know, my friend has three kids and he's like, look, they're all great. The problem is, there's always one of them in crisis at all times. You know, it's like, yeah. And then this one might activate that one, who might activate the other one. But he's like, it's it's very rare that they're all just chill. There's right. always some kind of a, a thing. Well, I also feel like the squeaky wheel gets the grease too. So you've got somebody always like sort of. I was the baby of four, so we had a lot of – my parents had a lot to deal with. Were you the squeaky wheel? Sometimes, sure. Are you kidding? <laughs> I needed some attention. Lydia wants two, and I'm like, one's Do great. Do it. And she's like, well, there's a high occurrence of twins in my family, so maybe we'll just knock it out the yeah. first time. Yeah, is a triplet. Really? Yeah, identical twi- triplets. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, and I went to school with two of them, and, 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 so, and they're really difficult to tell apart, especially when they're young. There, I went to school with triplet with I went to college with triplets, and two of them were similar, and one of them like looked similar, like two of them looked exactly the same, and one of them not exactly, but close enough. And then there was a third where you're like, okay, that was definitely that person. But I'm so like the ident- like having to having to establish your identity when you have a big family anyway seems crazy, but having to establish an identity. But Kara, is that strange? <laughs> 
I just we played a game the other day. It was so great. She showed me pictures of them when they were kids, and I had to guess which one of them was which, which oh. was really fun because now that I've known people, you know, known her for so long, it's funny you can kind of see people's personalities. Well, twins have like a weird psychic connection. So do triplets. Yeah, remember that dream we had? What? What? I had the dream again. Yeah, I mean, it. How are you? Because obviously your career is going great, but you're still are at managing to have a family. So how are you? How do you know how to delegate your time to – you must have to be able to compartmentalize and be like, okay, now this is mom time, now this is work time, now this is – Yeah, I mean I work a lot, you know, and I've, I've tried now to work in Los Angeles, which changes your choices, you know. Right. But for the most part, the show that I shot, Dead to Me, that's in Los Angeles. The movie that I just did, like your owner, that was shot in Los Angeles. And so those kinds of choices I make so that at least, you know, even if I work – you know, even if I'm gone before she wakes up and I'm – there after she falls asleep then I'm somehow I'm there on the weekend or you right. know what I mean I see her as much as humanly possible or she comes to set or that's good you know what I mean and and uh and we're together just as much as I possibly can be but yeah. you know they're two different things like you know being able to be good at a home life has nothing to do with being able to be good at your work job you know your job right. so they, they run on like sort of parallel lines so you hope you're doing a good job in both yeah and but it's you know and you know I work for a few months at a time then I get then I get time off which right. is very lucky and uh yeah. Yeah, because Dead to Me looks like it shot in L.A. Yes, it did. Which is insane. Nothing, very no, few things very actually few things. shoot. Which is interesting, trying to make choices to be able to stay home is, is there's a different pool of choices because not a lot shoots in Los Angeles. Right, right. Um, Lydia and I watched the first two episodes of that last night, and it's incredible. I mean, it has – there is definitely a Breaking Bad vibe to it where there's, there's, definite, there's a larger arc that you're trying to figure out the whole time – and there's and there's something that's not right, and you can't quite put your finger on what's going on. But then things start getting revealed, and and also the show's hilarious. Yeah, at Liz, the same is time. Real, Liz Feldman, Liz Feldman. created it. She's really she's number one a wonderful person, and number two just a really creative, hilarious mind. She's a stand up too. She's yeah, yeah. I remember yeah. I, we used to do a lot of the, the those types of uh, local LA open micy shows. I listed those oh, two. That's so funny. Yeah. Yeah, we've all been around. A I real- know. I know. I was just thinking the same thing. That's what happens when you've been around for a while. Yeah, but that's but how what- lucky are we? We, we, we. I mean, you know, that some some people didn't didn't stick with it, and we're lucky we got to stick with it. I mean, still there, be here. There really is something to just st- you know, like staying in the game. It if, is if, persistence. If, if there's a way that you can stay in the game, because especially because you know, it's like. You know, someone I used to do open mics with, now they're a showrunner, and this person does it. It's like people do evolve and grow. And And it doesn't happen all at once, I don't think, for for many people. Some it does, but for many it doesn't. So it's fun to watch sort of at this age, like people really getting what what they deserved. Some of my friends who are now like showrunners or whatever, you know, actually put in a lot of hard work um, for, for not much, you know, at the time now. Have their own things. Was this what you envisioned? Like you did, when you envisioned a career, was it just like I just want to work, or did you? Env- are, are are you sort of forming the the career that you wanted? Um, that's a good question. I originally, you know, all I, I wanted to be was a working actress. I remember thinking like I just want to be a working actress. I want to be a, somebody who gets to be an actress for her whole life and gets to to work. You know, I don't need everybody to know my name. I don't need everybody to, I just want to be able to have work. And then the thing you realize is, is, is that one thing feeds into the other. You get more choices, the more people know your work. So mm-hmm. then you're hoping for work that people can watch and like so that you can continue to work. Right. So it's really been about being able to sustain. Right. Working. Right. And, and being able to choose. 
um, because there's the mercy of your choices, you know, and, and the choices that are given to you unless you're creating it for yourself. So just to be able to have good choices available to you. So everything right. I, I've, I've tried to do is to either entertain myself, challenge myself, or, you know, sort of um, make it so that I continue to have choices. Yeah, and I don't, as far as I know, you're not, I don't think you're a big social media person. Or, no, no, I'm not great at it. Which is good because I think there's so much pressure now on so many people like, oh, you got to do this and you got to post this and you got to post. And I'm, I'm just not, I'm getting to the point where I'm not sure it really is worth all that, like nets all that much. I mean, you know, you see people with a shit ton of followers and they post about a show and then no one watches the show and it's like, well, that didn't do anything. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, there's something about it because there's, it's, it's a nice way to interact with fans if people really want to know what yeah. you're doing. Like that is something that's really nice about it. So go post like things that happen on, or things that are coming up, you know, um, but uh, I, I just feel like I, it's so different from when we were first coming up. Everybody was very private. So it's an interesting mix of now people are very open with their life and their families. And I remember back in the day when uh, when uh, I was working with somebody and somebody had taken a picture of their child and it was the first – and they were big stars and it was the first time anybody had ever taken a picture of their child and they were devastated. Mm-hmm. And then now it's just a different story. Like people are okay with it and they put their children – you know, and it's just – times have ver- have changed. The interesting thing, you know, about – social media is it is you know it's an avenue for advertisement as well so the companies are getting something else out of it by right. being there and that's what it is so it's i think it's useful i definitely partake in it i like to look at it i like to read it you know <laughs> like i will be there watching what other people do i haven't necessarily mastered it yet and i feel like i've always had this um i go back and forth in in terms of how much to share of of myself personally because mm-hmm. i actually tend to be Despite what I do, I tend to be relatively private. Right. So, I mean, for being an actor. So I go back and forth with, you know, how much I feel comfortable with. Um, but I don't dislike it. I don't, you know, I just sort of, I enjoy it. I, uh, I'm i just not I just think, I think, it's, I think it's important to have, I think it's important to have the private thing, like something for yourself. It's like, why should you have to share everything and put your child's face on the... I mean, the people putting pictures of their kids on social media, I, creeps, it like scares me for them because I just feel like you're me, like some crazy person. Like Now they know what your child looks like. That's... that's yeah. Well, I mean, you know, teach their own though. It's like everybody's life is on display. So whatever, whatever makes you happy, whatever makes you comfortable, go for it. You but do you once. think... But do you think that... As someone who wants to, you know, disappear into roles and stuff, do you think if people know too much that it, like, do you think that spoils some of the mystique or do you think people just know, like... That's what the theory I was raised on, basically. Yeah. You know? But also putting yourself out there as part of it. I mean, here I am talking to you, so there's part of it that I'm, you know what I mean? Part of me that's being revealed here. Sure. That... Oh, that's uh, totally different. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, I don't mean. Uh, uh, <laughs> but I'm just saying, uh, so it's it's part and parcel, you know. And there's there's a there's an element of like getting what, make sure you talk about things and get people to want to see your work. And then there's an element of like, okay, but um, I might have gone through something tragic that I don't want to share. Sure, you know? sure, sure. Yeah. Um, do you? Uh, by the way, uh, 
do you, would you ever do another Scooby-Doo movie, please? <laughs> please? Like, please do it or please answer this question? No, I mean, please would you ever do it? I mean, you're a great Velma. Thank you. I worked so hard on that part. I had a tape every morning that I would listen to of Velma talking, and it was like, you know, jinkies. I was found, you know, it was like all of these things. That just, what was it? Was You know, all these catchphrases that she had or all these things that I remember from the cartoon. I was obsessed with the cartoon when I was a kid. Even as an older adult, like I would watch it on TV or not adult, I guess I wasn't that old. But, I mean, I would watch it on TV up until I got the part. It used to relax me. Yeah. But then once I got the part, it never relaxed me again. But um, but I really loved the cartoon so much. So when that came along, I really took it seriously. <laughs> I really did. I went into that audition with uh, my hair, like, in a fashioned in a fake bob. And, you know, I had put it back because it was long. And I put these glasses on. And I, wore, I went to Ross. And I bought a turtleneck. And you know, a red skirt and I went in there in a costume and I remember seeing all of these people there um, auditioning. Were they in? They, were there they was like famous people in there and they looked at me like I was the biggest idiot. <laughs> and I and I came home and Liz, I was living with her at the time, she said all I remember was seeing this little orange turtleneck underneath the covers in my living room in my single bed. Just like, just, you know, heaving sobs because I had completely embarrassed myself is what I thought. And then, um, and then it turned out, you know, I got the part. So, so then we have to put the outfit back on, and then you just go walk up and down Hollywood Boulevard and just be like, "Fuck all of you guys," because I never know. I never knew in the audition process, which I don't, you know, like I don't audition for scripted stuff anymore. Um, that how much to, you know. If you're a cowboy, do you go in and You know what? I still feel like I'm not sure. Because there's that line where it's like you hear stories where you go like that and you go, well, it worked and it's cool. No, I don't. I feel like perhaps it would have worked without the costume. (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, Yeah. And I was lucky that, you know, her character is, you know, that's that's broad. So it's, you know, you can be a little foolish and get away with it. And your voice, too, is is perfect for it. Well, thanks. I, I, in my mind, had changed my voice, you know. I do this thing where it's like... You know, I, yeah. I, in my mind, would completely change my voice. And well, people she, would be like, oh, I recognize your voice from that. Because Velma was basically Spock. Like, she was the logical character. Yes, yes, yes. She was sort of the logical, like, kind of non-passionate character of the, right. this is how we're going to... She was the problem solver. This is how we're going to solve this problem. We're going to detach the emotion from it. And this is just... These are what the... This is what the empirical evidence tells us Yes. in this. I can't figure out, like... <laughs> I can't figure out how all of those people came together. <laughs> you mean like the actual characters in the story? Yeah, like how do they – like why the fuck would Freddy hang out with Shaggy? Like the two of them – Yeah, yeah, they would they never were, be friends in high school. If they were at the school. same party, they would never no. – Yeah. They would never, you know, be in the same – be right. in the same group. Right, True. Did anyone ever do a deep dive into... I mean, everybody. We all, everybody does a deep dive into Scooby-Doo, Chris. <laughs> I just need to know where they came um, from. I don't know. I think they probably just thought, like, different types. Different you know types. I mean? like, yeah, so everyone's got it. Like, a casting breakdown when you're... And it's like, the jock type, the pretty girl, the nerdy one, the, you know... The talking dog. The talking dog. <laughs> <laughs> the crazy thing is, have you ever really seen a talking dog video when dogs, it sounds like they're talking? Yeah, when they're like... Exactly like Scooby Doo. It's pretty close. It is. It is pretty close. Although he was forming legitimate words, he's he got, was. He's got a great vocabulary. Yeah, yeah. He is a really. He wasn't just saying like, you know, do you want more food? Yeah, yeah, yes, right. yes, yes. You know, I mean, he was I forming legitimate words, and then Scrappy Doo, which was just basically a oh, head God. on a doll body, was completely sentient and uh, and and articulate. 
somehow. I know. He was really... That was, I was not into it during those years. That was a little bit of shark jumping. That was just... It was, he was irritating. <laughs> Which he, they put into the movie. I think James Gunn wrote that in, that he was so irritating. <laughs> yeah, well, so you did a lot of cartoon voices, too. We did cartoon voices we together. We did cartoon voices together. Which, the bummer thing about... Sanjay and Craig is that we didn't get to record as a group that often. No, but I would I would catch you like passing ships. As We'd you pass, leave, yeah. or if we were doing like a musical, like sometimes like, there were a couple musical shows that I think we. Oh God, that's right. There were a couple. Um, I got to send you the video of the uh, the Snoop Dogg one. Oh yeah, is yeah, yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Did you ever see it? I, I I think I did. I think we talked about it. I think I I don't know. Yes, I I did. The, I was the, so excited that I was in that. It turned out great. You know what I might do? I might at the end of this episode just post the audio from that. Sure. I don't think, hopefully Nickelodeon wouldn't mind too much. Uh, but that was one of those shows that I feel like was so antithetical to the rest of what Nickelodeon was doing that I was surprised. Like, there were so many weird, there was so much like weird adult humor in that show and so many fart jokes. I was, I was actually thinking that. <laughs> I really was thinking while you were talking about how many fart jokes there was. was like, you can say fart on a kid's show? Like, sure, yeah, you can do it. Yeah, and they, and they did it. There was a lot of farting and there were a lot of fart jokes. You and Matt Jones um, and Malik Panchuli and, uh, and Kunal Nayar. I mean, it was just a, and Gray Delilah. Like, it was just a fucking great. It was, fun. It was a great cast of people. Are you still doing voiceovers? I did Gravity Falls yeah. for a while. And, uh, and then all those shows ended. And so I haven't really had, had time to do much more. But I'd love to. I think it's fun. It is the, the the sort of the good news, bad news about getting on a sh- on a, an animated show is that you, it's fun to do, but it it is like these four hour blocks of time where you just completely blow your voice out. You know, really, there's a lot of yelling. There's a yeah. lot of yelling, especially if you're doing kids shows. Do you ever do a video game? Have I? Yeah, I've done video and games. And you have to do uh, 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 <laughs> all the sound effects. <laughs> yeah. Okay, you're punched in the gut. All right, you're kicked in the face. Stab, but you like it. <laughs> ah. Stab, but you don't like it. Aww. Stab, but it's invigorating. Interesting. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I, can, I know a lot of the voiceover guys, and the ones who make a good living, just have, you have to work nonstop if you want to make a living as a voiceover person. Really? What about those people who are like, yeah, I go on for an hour and my life's really easy and I'm rich? Well, you, but you have to be on, like if you're on like Spongebob, that's different. But I think most of the time, like people just breeze through shows. I think it's probably just like scale plus like 10. I the primetime ones are different. I feel prime like the primetime animation shows, that's a different Primetime's different. Primetime's different. But there are very few primetime animated shows and most of them are internet or cable shows. And there are dudes who just, like, breeze in and they just work, like, 40 hours a week working on, like, a ton of different shows because they are these utility people that can... They're amazing, That can do anything. When you sit in there and you listen to some people who really know how to do monsters and gargoyles, and they're like, hey, can you try to do, like... And they'll do exactly, like, I need a Scottish gargoyle uh, who's being held underwater uh, and they can make... They can do... Like, Dee Bradley Baker is a guy who can do do that stuff, too. But I also... uh, I love the voiceover because it... It does feel like it's a little more of a meritocracy than than live action stuff. Again, because it doesn't matter if you have green eyes or not. You know, right, it's just like right. can you can you do the voice? Can you convey the performance? And they are, you know, like they're animating like they're animating a lot off of your like whatever you bring to the table. Right. Yeah. Or vice versa. Sometimes they know what they want and then they come in and it's very specific. Right, 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 right. They've already had it sort of set up and you've gotta sort of toe the line. 
Was it uh, was standing on stage at the Oscars a surreal? Oh my god, it was great! <laughs> Are you kidding? It was so great. We were in the way back. Uh, my seat at the Oscars was I, my seat at the Golden Globes was right on the <laughs> My foot was touching the stage, and then my seat for the Oscars I was in the way back of the front uh, section. And so I looked at the other guys that I was sitting with, and I was like, if we, for any reason, win, which no one thought we would win, you know, we're like, if for any reason we win, guys, we're really going to have to run, because they give this whole thing about it's 90 seconds and whatever. Oh, and they take that out of your, you get to your stage time? Yeah, I mean, and I knew we weren't going to be speaking, but we were all like, if we were, you know, everybody's like, if, if for any reason, everybody goes up there. So we, we, they called out Green Book. We were shocked, me and the composer and one of the producers sitting back there. We started jumping up and down, hugging each other, which I had only had a moment like that when I was on The Price is Right. Where my you know what I mean? Oh my God, I forgot about yeah, that. Yeah, oh please, I never forget. My name was called and I jumped up and down and I started hugging strangers and jumping up and down with them. And it was the same sensation. And I know it's different because I sort of... I've done some work to at least have earned my part in the in in the movie, you know. I like actually had worked. I didn't just get chosen like a name out of a hat for the Price is Right. But we were jumping up and down, hugging each other, and then I looked at everybody. And it was like I was in a scary movie. I said, "Run!" Because <laughs> I, I saw everybody getting up on stage. So we were in the middle of the aisles. Excuse me, pardon me. Excuse me, pardon me. We gotta get out there. And everyone's like, "Go, go, go!" Hi, everyone. Ask can please. Can we get back? Yeah. 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 So me. then we ran. Uh, ran the first part, and then you know, casually walked as fast as we could to get on stage. So it was amazing. It was really amazing. I mean, are, are, and Julia Roberts was there giving it to us, and it was just—it was phenomenal. Are you good at being in the moment for stuff like that, and or do you live in it? At, is it all like do you live in it in rewind afterwards? Like, oh yeah, I got to remember all this. Or are you good at soaking in the moment? Oh, I mean, I feel like there's a little bit of both going on. I feel like there's this moment where you're like, ah, it's just pure because in show, you know, in sort of film and television, you don't get anything that's immediate like that. Like there's no finishing a take and everyone being like, "You won a prize." You know, like here's your new car. <laughs> it's like you finish a take, you go home, it gets edited, it gets released, you do press. You know, it's, there's there's a whole process to it. So the idea that we would be there and someone would would call the name and you win, you know, you're part of something. I didn't win it, but you're part of something that wins is an immediate adrenaline rush that you don't often get. I mean, I feel like you can get that in theater when you do a show and, you know, people sort of respond in the moment. But on set, you're sort of in your own little capsule until it's released. So there's something really amazing about that, and there's a real adrenaline rush to that. And uh, and I've been in the opposite situation where I was nominated for an Emmy for Mad Men, and I didn't win, you mm-hmm. know? So it was really nice to be in the situation where I was involved with it, and we won, and we ran up there and, you know, you're standing up there and then I have, you don't really understand. I'm so happy I didn't have to speak yeah, because I don't know how people arrange their thoughts with that much adrenaline going. And you're watching a ticking clock. Yeah. I didn't even pay attention to that. I was just thinking. It's really funny at the Emmys and they announced whoever won and you just hear from the audience, fuck! And then you just see you walk out like all the way up the... But I think if you, even if you meant that as a joke, it would then be played that you were really angry, so you can't ever do something like that. You can't, yeah. yeah. Well, that, I think that's also the problem is when you're funny, which you are, but people don't really think of you as like, oh, she's like a comedian. I mean, yeah, I'm not you, a stand-up you, at all. But you, have, but you have kind of a comedian's brain in a way, just because oh, you. your friends are comedians and you the way that you – if anyone hung out with you for five minutes, they're like, oh, this girl's really funny, you know, like – but because people don't think of you, like, they go, oh, she's an actress. She's, like, a very formal, established actress. And I feel like sometimes in that case, people... I've been working very hard for that, so thank you. <laughs> no, no, no. It's true, because it, because I think sometimes when people are very formal actors, 
but they're also really funny. They're not, they don't have the context. And so when they say things that are really funny, people are like, what did they mean by that? And it's like, well, they're just, they're yeah, just yeah, fucking yeah. around. Like yeah. they're funny. They're just like a comedy, they're a comedy yeah. person. You mean you, you actively were like, I don't want to just be seen as a comedy person. I want to. No, 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 no. I just wanted, you know, to be an actress. I want to be able to do all of it. Right. Not just one version of it. When I first started, I did majority sitcom. That's all I did. Right. And I was a lot of times, like what I played on that show, like sarcastic, like, you know, like I was, remember I was on Step by Step and I was like a tomboy in high school who was really good at pool. And then I had a, a pool shark teach me how to do this pool trick and it was in front of a live audience. So I had to literally bank a ball and then make three with one shot. Mm-hmm. And I worked on it all week and in front of a live audience. I, I did it and I made the shot and it was, it was like one of those prices right moments. It was very <laughs> exhilarating. Um, but yeah, so it's, uh, you know, it, it, I started doing that and then I, I sort of, I just try to go back and forth to, even now I did, I came off of Daddy's Home mm-hmm. and did a horror movie and then I did then I did uh, something else. I, I just like to do as many different things as I, as I can. Work, that's not work. I'm excited for that horror movie. Yeah, it comes out this weekend. Oh, it does? Yeah. Oh, good, good, crazy. good, good. Good, yeah. good, good. Yeah, I'm trying to... Sometimes I can sneak links to movies from companies, you know? They didn't give you anything? I don't think I have anything. Not for that, but because but, my wife and I were both huge, huge, huge horror fans. But yeah, I think you... Uh, it's sort of similar to say that Dead to Me has kind of a Breaking Bad vibe because a lot of stuff that you've said sort of reminds me of what stuff that Brian Cranston said. It's like, oh, I like to do a lot of different things. You never want to do the same thing more than once. And also, all I ever cared about was just being a working actor. And I yeah. didn't really care yeah. about... Because that is not being result-oriented. That's just being process-oriented. It's like, I just want to be able to continue this process. Yeah. And then, you know, you, you, want, you, want, you want to do things that you like and you want to do things that you respect and you, and you want to be, in a, be able to be in a position where you can choose those things too, yeah. you know? There's a certain group of people that get the first choice, then there's people who get the second choice, <laughs> and then if they don't do it, then there's sometimes I get the part, Right, you know? right, right. So, and yeah. then hopefully that changes as you get, you know, as you go along. Yeah, but, it, but I think that's the most success anyone can ever have is being able to not have to take anything that they don't want to take. Yes, that is a luxury. That is absolutely a luxury. Do you, did you ever, like, did it take you a long time to shake the feeling of, because turning down work always feels weird to me. Yeah. Even if it's something that I don't want to do or I feel like isn't great to do, it still feels like, but it's a job and should I, am I being irresponsible by not? Right, 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 right. Yes, and I, I, I'm like, I'm the earner. So there's a lot of that in me that's like, okay, well, what, you know, I don't do this for money, but I also need to earn Gotta money. Work. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, I do it for money, but it, that was never my first thing. I was like, if I can just be an actress, I don't care. I remember my 21st birthday was on set and everyone's like, you don't get to go out for your 21st birthday. That's terrible. And I thought this is the best present ever. <laughs> if I, if I never have to spend an, you know, if I, if I spent every birthday I ever had on a set, I'd be so happy because I'd be able to be doing what I liked doing, you know? Right. And then, of course, as you get older, you're like, oh, I wish I could have my birthday off. <laughs> Just my birthday off? No. Yeah, remember that thing? You yeah, said you want to work yeah. on your birthday. You're yeah, no, no, no. I know that, that, but I was 21 then. And, you're you know. stuck with that. Um, <laughs> but there, you know, I don't know. It's, it's, uh, I've been very lucky. Is, did you win on Prices Right? I did. I won. Well, I wasn't that lucky there. I won a fireplace, 
It was like a, it's a gas fireplace mantle. <laughs> did you get it? Or I they... bid $1,000. I did. I, they, you, they said I could have like the money equivalent or I could have the fireplace. And I said, well, I, I want that fireplace, which I lived in a dorm at the time. It <laughs> was never going to be anywhere for that what fireplace to go. What takes a fireplace over money? Right, right. And then I lived in a dining room, so there certainly wasn't going to be a fireplace in there. But um, I uh, gave it to my parents and we had it for a long time. And then I took it back. And then I recently lost it in a storage facility fire. Oh, that's ironic. Is it? Yeah. To lose a fireplace in a fire? That's true. You're right. That is it. Was it? That's terrible <laughs> that you lost stuff in a storage facility. I did. It was, I, well, yeah. yeah. That's not supposed to happen. Those places are supposed to be fucking fireproof. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. Did what, did what started the fire? They don't know. They don't know. But there was a two-week investigation and I was on location in Florida and, uh, and Steve said, you know, the, I have to tell you, there's been a fire and I think our stuff is gone. And I was like, oh my God, the house caught on fire? He's like, no, no, no. The storage facility, and I thought, oh shit, because that's where I'd put all my stuff while I was on location, oh, all my no. good stuff. So yeah, so I had all these keen paintings and 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 these things that I had collected. I had antique pinball machines. <sighs> I had stuff from my family for years that all I didn't know if I if it was gone forever or if it had been just smoke damaged. And it turned out one unit with like the best stuff completely gone, nothing oh, left, God. not even like a pinball from the machine. Um, and the other unit. Um, was smoke damaged. So, and are you good at handling that kind of crisis? I am. It's funny. I don't know that I'm. I'm a very emotional, sensitive person, so I don't know that I was good at it. But it gave me perspective. It definitely did because nobody was hurt. Right. Um, I mean, I you know a firefighter. I think it got he you know maybe like was overheated when he was in there. So I can't say nobody was hurt, sure, but he sure, turned sure. out to be fine. But it wasn't a fire that was in the house with, you know, loved ones. And and uh, so it turned out just to be stuff that we lost. And, you know, some memories and all that kind of stuff. And we don't even weren't even sure, like, exactly what was in there because we put it all in storage and right. moved away for a year, you know? Um, but, yeah. But the crazy thing about it is I've always been a Keen fan, you know, mm-hmm. Mark Keenan. I had all of this collection from when I was a little kid because I grew up in San Francisco, the Bay Area, and my parents grew up in San Francisco, and they had had some when they were kids, and all these prints. And then eventually, with my first bit of money, I commissioned Margaret Keene <gasps> to paint. That was the first thing I did with like some of my Freaks and Geeks money, which was like the first time I made like you know some money like that I could really hold on to, you know. And uh, and I called her up and she and I didn't really want a painting of myself as is I wanted to it felt too I don't know there was something that seemed very that seemed too vain for me to be able to like I, I couldn't do it at the time right and uh, and so I gave her a picture of me when I was a little kid because she paints these children with these animals and tears yeah. and all this stuff and modeled it after this painting that I really loved and that I had grown up with a print in my room and I met her and she painted it and it got destroyed in the fire along with several other ones that I had but at that same time big eyes came out mm-hmm and I was watching the movie, which you know came out right around the same time I lost all of them. And uh, and in the movie, I saw my painting <gasps> in the background. And I stopped it, I rewinded it, I stopped it, I rewinded it. And then I called the owner of the gallery in San Francisco, Robert, and I said, hey, Robert, I swear to God, that's my painting. I said, but the painting's destroyed. And I said, is, what is that? And he said, we made a print of it. So it exists in the film. Just as a print that looks like a, you know, in her, in when Amy Adams is painting. Were you able to get it? No, no. I mean, but, you know, I could, I have a picture of the painting. I could make a, you know, I I have a picture of it. I have a memory of it and all that stuff. But they made a print, set, set deck made a print of it. And so it exists in the film. 
but does it but no longer and it's me as a child holding this black cat in a blue dress but it no longer exists in real life that's incredible yeah. that's really incredible yeah. So at least it has a life somewhere. Kind of a cool story. Yeah, yeah it, mean, is a, for it is a cool story. That made, yeah, it is a cool story. Made me cry a lot. Yeah. It's, it's a cool story. But I mean, that's the least of it. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> it's the best yeah, sad it, story. It's, it's, yeah. Yeah. It's I mean, to, to lose me. something that you. But is... they were only things, you know. And it was funny just going through that and realizing, okay, you care a lot about things, and so they carry memories, but. That's where I think having a kid gives you the perspective, like, okay... She said it to me. She goes, Mom, they're only things. (laughs) You're going to remind her of that when she's a teenager. Yeah, exactly. Oh, it's only a thing. Yeah, she was very tiny when she said that. She's a a wise old sage. Yeah, but the funny thing is, I don't... You know, you say, like, oh, I'm a sensitive person, but I don't remember that. Like, I just remember you being, like, super upbeat and funny all the time and, like, hey, everything's great. Like, I I don't ever remember seeing... Like, oh, boy, Linda's on another one of her emotional benders. Like, I don't remember seeing anything like that. That's good. I was doing a good job. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I think, you know, for me, when I'm around people, I think that's why I like working so much when I'm with people. Yeah. I'm great. I think I pick up on the energy of other people, and it's it's easy for me to sort of enjoy myself and be in the moment. I think when I'm left to my own devices, my mind doesn't ever stop, so. Right. Which I think is true of most creative people or artists or whatever. It's like if... Because it just means that you have a lot to express, you know, and there's a lot to, to draw from. Yeah, I feel like that's probably why I wanted to do what I do. It has an outlet and it's sort of... I remember being really, really sensitive as a kid and, and <laughs> thinking, oh, I can sort of emote all of these things in a framework of a story and I can do that for a living. That yeah. seems like just like I won the lottery. But it seems... Or Price is Right. More prizes, right? Which I was also chosen to be on. I, one of my favorite shows was um, Wheel of Fortune. You were and on I, that too? No. Okay, so listen to that. But I was on the Family Feud with the cast of Freaks and Geeks um, against the cast of Popular back in the day, which was a really fun. Oh my thing. god! We played I for charity. That. Leslie Bibb was on that yeah, show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Remember that show? We played for charity, and Colin Hanks. No, Colin Hanks was on Roswell. Um, we played for charity, and. Uh, and we, and we arranged it so that we could play for a little girl that we knew who was having problems who needed money. And so when we lost, it was devastating for us because it was literally we knew that money was being taken <laughs> out of a child's hands. Oh, my gosh. Help. Yeah. Oh, that's so it was like up. the most high stakes game I've ever played in my life. But we ended up making a lot of money and then um, and then production like chipped in and oh, the little God. girl got. Yeah. So it was it was that was all for a good cause. I was hey, on the kid, how about a fireplace? No, yeah, that would not, uh, that would not have helped. That would not have. <laughs> um, but then but then so that was actually kind of an, an amazing game show experience. But then. When I was, before I started acting, I, Wheel of Fortune was like the biggest show. It was the biggest show. Huge. Huge. So there was, like, as soon as I moved to Los Angeles, I was like, how do I do it? Where do I go? How do I do this thing? I'm not, I don't want to graduate college. I just want to act. (laughs) And I was, you know, pulling things down off of telephone poles and like being an extra and crazy weird things. And, um... Then I went, a friend of mine and I were, went and auditioned for, well, auditioned, or you go through this process and you play Wheel of Fortune. It was at, mm-hmm. I don't know, somewhere, some big hotel by the airport. And we waited all day long. We took a day off of school. We waited all day long. You had to make it through several different things. It was thousands of people there. You know, it was, I don't know if it's as big as American Idol, but it felt like that big. Where How there do they weed people out there? Pick a letter. Uh, no, you really play. There's exclamation like a point. And everybody Sorry. goes into different like ballrooms and you play and then they whittle it down and whittle it down and whittle it down. And after, I don't know how many hours of being there, I was chosen. I was really good at it. I was good at it. I love it. 
And it took, I think, it was a year to a year and a half before you would actually get called after you were chosen. Oh, my God. Right, because so many people wanted to be on the show, and they were just, like, just gathering people so that they could, you know, tape the shows. And by that time, I had just gotten my first job, which was also on ABC. Oh. In Bone Chillers, the kids' show, the Saturday morning kids' show. Oh, then you can't be a contestant so anymore. So I couldn't be a contestant anymore because it was the same network. Because the laws. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Game but I was very laws. glad. I was yeah, that probably worked that out I better the way that it job. did. Yeah. Probably worked out. You probably wouldn't have gotten a career's worth of money uh, on Wheel of Fortune. I mean, I'm pretty good. <laughs> Just saying. Did you practice your I'd like to buy a vowel, please, Pat? Uh, you know, the thing about a game show, it, which you ran one. Yeah. So you know how people freeze. I mean, you get up there and it's not like you think it's going to be. You get up there and you freeze. It's right. a tremendous amount of pressure. Yeah, I've done a couple game. Well, I did Celebrity I loved Jeopardy. I, oh, you did? Yeah. Well, that's because you're smart. And like 1997. Yeah, well. I was, I was an answer on Jeopardy like two weeks ago. Oh, isn't that the best? My whole family rejoiced. We had like a huge, it was, it was actually, it was like. What was it? What winning. was the, what was the clue? Um, something about how my name, how the name Linda is not allowed. You can't name a child that in Saudi Arabia. Oh wow! Mm-hmm. It was me and Linda Lavin were used as the actresses? Oh my gosh! What a what a Cardellini and Lavin! But you can't name your child. I have it. I have a screenshot of it. I thought I could find it. But <laughs> I was so excited. Used to sleep in a dining room. Yeah, <laughs> with Linda Cardellini. Yeah, I mean, I I I know that like winning an Oscar is a really great thing. However. It seems to me that winning on the Price is Right would be kind I love, of... <laughs> clearly, I love game shows, but that's kind of the fun thing about, you know, prizes. I like prizes. Yeah, but also, it's to your body, it's like, it's the same, like you said. It's a roller coaster. It's, it's like it's absolutely the, a roller it's coaster. The same, it's the same rush. Well, you were on, so that was Bob Barker. Yeah, because Drew's only Bob been doing Barker, this for... Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You, you have to leave at 2.30, I'm being told. I which do? is now, it's 2.16. Okay, great. Okay, well, let's get to the good stuff. What do you want to talk about? Nothing. Old stories? Old we should talk stories. about old, old guys like us stories? Old guys like us What do you remember stories. from that experience? Oh, God. We got canceled. I remember that. Yep. I've been on a few of those. Yep. Um, I remember... I remember something that Maestro, who was very small at the yes. time, he gave a great speech because... He's, you know, he was actually on ER, too. I saw him years and years later. And he was on The Wire. Yeah, he's great. And he's reached out over the years since then, and he's, he is great. He is great. And I was so happy to see him, and he was so grown up. But when, we, when he was young, he gave that speech, and, he, and I remember him saying, um, eliminate the negative and accentuate the positive. Mm-hmm. And I always think of, I, I think of that very, very often. It worked. It did. He absolutely, it worked. Yeah, that, I don't, I mean, I remember it. I remember that show. I mean, it feels like I have flashes of it, and I remember some things of it, but yeah, I can't. You know, I, I was that live audience. It was live audience. Yeah, it was live audience. We taped on like Friday nights or something. I mean, it was like a standard sitcom schedule, and we worked out of the um, the lot in Culver Culver Studios. I, I liked think. Culver Studios. Yeah, it sweet. It was really. It was a fun. It was a great experience. It really was. And I really thought like, I'm gonna buy a house. Like we're we're not gonna cancel. You know. And then you learn pretty quickly. See, but, I never think like that ever. It's well, so funny because I. Never... But I learned to not think that way because of guys like us. <laughs> Are yeah. you say because of me? No, 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 no. Because you never. There's no. You, there, there's just there's just no like real security 
No. And, and if you want that, you're probably not in the right business. I think that's part of it's. It's funny. I think it's the double-edged sword. I think it's part of what's enjoyable about it is sort of the mystery of what is this thing and you. You know what I mean? Like the the not knowing. But I think the steeplechase is part of the test of you know, like can you hang in this business if you can jump through all these hoops and fall down all these times and still keep showing up? Then you will be rewarded. You know, it's a part of the the. Or will you? You know what I mean? You don't know. You don't know. No, you don't know. But it worked out for you. But so far, so good. You know, I'm still, hoping. I'm still hoping to do it for a lot more years. So. And I'm sure you will. But but you know, and I do feel like things have gotten like better and better. You, which you is, must be able to feel it. Yeah, I feel good. I do. I feel you know. I feel good. I I feel like things. I mean, the people that I get to work with are great, and it just seems to be getting better and better. Which you know, I started young, and people always told you like, oh, you got to be young. You got to be young. You got to be young. So it's nice to get older and feel like I'm still working a lot. It's nice. Well, the danger I think is that you can be so much in the mindset of like I'm chasing this thing. I'm chasing this thing. I'm chasing this thing that you might not recognize when you actually have the right. thing right, right, right. that you have because you're so you're so addicted to the the chase. And no, I have this, but I don't have this, or I don't have uh, this award, or I didn't uh, do do this. And I think that's where you know that's the danger because you can't. Those are all the things that you can't control any of that stuff. And also, I think that you. Oh, I'm going to feel this way when this happens. Right. And then if that thing does or doesn't happen, and you still feel the same way then you have to contend with what that means. But I think that's the other reason why it's great to have a, a kid or kids is that you can still come home and go like, oh, but this is literally the most important thing. And I think I was always afraid of that before because I knew once I had kids and I wouldn't be able to focus on myself anymore. In that <laughs> way. You know what I mean? Where it's like, and, and it had to be mature enough to accept like, yes, like once you do that, you can still do things that you like, but you st- but you still are, you know, you have to be present for this other person. Also, when they're really little and you're upset about something, which is seemingly, you know, something in the business that is not a really, truly big deal. Right. You know, like for me, for instance, if I would have come home crying from the Scooby-Doo audition right. in front of my daughter, at the, yeah. you know, when she was young. Yeah. To her, it just looks like her mother's hurt. Right. So you, you, you can't do that shit anymore. <laughs> you know what I mean? You can't take it so seriously anymore. But mommy showed up dressed as Velma. Yeah. And, you know. She made an idiot of herself. I mean, I'm sure that she still she can think those things. Eventually it'll get worse. But, uh, but no, I mean, you know, there's no use in, in that kind of emotional investment in certain things like that anymore. It's just why. But to have had had so many ups and downs, like what is it that sort of is it is it just the passion for the 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 being on set and the craft of acting is like I'm gonna fucking I don't care, you know, like I'm I'm gonna fall down, things are gonna get canceled, things aren't gonna work out, I'm gonna feel bad, but then I'm just gonna keep moving forward. Yeah, what you said. <laughs> I'm gonna take that with me. Can you record that and send that to me so I can record We are recording that? this. Yeah, we'll get no, you a transcript. Um, yeah, that's why we're recording. Uh, I. I do think that's part of it. I think the ups and downs are part of it. And I feel like, you know, at this point, I'm really, I'm far in. I don't know what else I'd be able to, t- to do at this point. Yeah. Um, but no, I, I really do love it. It's, it's what I wanted to do. And when I was a kid, I didn't think it was possible. I didn't know anybody who was really doing it. Right. And uh, I knew people who were tried maybe. But, you know, even though I was from Northern California, Los Angeles and Hollywood seemed like a zillion, like a whole different universe. Right. Um, but the idea that I could really do it. I mean, still, sometimes I'm like, wow, this is, you know, wow. Surreal. Yeah, like I drove here and I saw the Hollywood sign. I was like, wow. <laughs> Isn't that nice? I work there. That's great. That means you're not jaded. Uh, well, I don't know about that. But I mean, that. I have my moments. But I, I do. I feel like I, it has never 
I mean, it's it's gotten easier in some ways, but then it becomes challenging in others. Like, I feel like, you know, I've gone, it's been a long time already in this yeah. business, and I hope to spend a lot more in the business. And it's just, it is a business. So learning to feel like the creative sort of part of you that wants to express and then understand that there's a business aspect to that too, that I'm actually probably not geared for. Right. You know what I mean? Because my mind works a little bit differently. But um, which is why you have agents and managers and sure. people who who can do the business part. You know, I feel like, um, and it's come constantly figuring out, and it's changing. I mean, it's changed a lot since we started. And it's, but also for the better because, like, when we started, there wasn't really a place for a show like Dead to Me. Like, like maybe HBO, but that, but there were not a lot of outlets that were doing that type of humor. There wasn't even a lot it. of original programming in cable. Was like we watched movies on cable, right? Like, I think about with, with my daughter and swearing. We didn't really hear swearing unless you watched TV late at night right. on cable. Right. But now it's in music. It's in every... You know what I mean? Like, swearing's just everywhere now. But it's... But back then, I don't feel like we had... I mean, you certainly didn't have... An, I mean, not to be like... My parents were like, we had three channels. Yeah, but My grandmother, who actually saw the jazz singer in the theater. Oh, my God. I know. She passed away. But she did. And she said that when the, the he came on screen, everybody gasped and people started crying. Because it was just when they heard sound match the picture, and now she was a tiny girl. Yeah. Now we're just so spoiled. Yeah. Now we're like, I want to watch it on my phone. Yeah, I want to watch it on my phone. I can't watch it wherever I want. But do you make the conscious decision to not swear in front of your kid? I try not to. Yeah. Yeah. But I have. But they. I have an issue with swearing. I like it. I like it a lot. I like it a lot. (laughs) It's fun. Uh, It helps me. Unfortunately, I I I rely on it to express myself too often. It's really fun. But I do try not to, and she's she's funny about it. Um, I cannot encourage people enough to watch Dead to Me. It's so funny. Christina Applegate's hilarious. Oh, she's amazing. And James Marsden. James Marsden, yeah. Ed Asner comes in there. Ed Asner's in it. Yeah, and and there's, there's, it's a really great cast. And it's such an unusual show. It really is. It's like, I was so excited about the idea of it. And you kind of aren't, like even reading the script, you're thinking, how does this tone play? Because it can go really broad. It can go really dark. It can go, and Liz just sort of finds this perfect, unusual blend of, comedy and tragedy yes and suspense but that's why and that's the element and i'm just hesitant to talk too much about it because i don't want to give anything away because i think people just need to need to experience it but it is if it was just those characters just being around each other and fucking around the show would be funny yeah that's what you think it's just gonna be sort of character driven but then all of a sudden this the plot is thing so, starts to yeah, unravel it's very well plotted and there it's it, and that's why I use Breaking Bad as the as um, as a comparison because you get to the end of an episode and then you're like, "Holy shit, what?" You know, and then something things start getting revealed, and it it's it is like a no spoilers kind of a show. Yeah, so, it's very digestible because it's short. Yeah, you know, it's like it's 30, 30 minutes. Summer twenty seven minutes. Like, summer thirty yeah, minutes. Yeah, thirty minutes long. So it it has the body of a comedy, but the soul of like this thriller uh at the same time so i just because of the way it's already started to unfold like i can't even imagine what this series oh, i'm arc. so excited for you to see it i really you gotta call me after you see it <laughs> i will i, yeah, I, yeah, I yeah. absolutely will i absolutely will no uh, we had fun. i mean that show is i'm really excited about it, it comes out so soon so yeah and everyone on that show is someone who's ha, ha, is just like a pedigree has been doing you know so many amazing things and and it was great to see christine applegate back yeah uh, back doing stuff yeah yeah too. yeah because she's legitimate, like she's so fucking funny too. She is, and she's she's great dramatic actress too. Like yeah. I think I think it's going to be really fun for people to see her in this role. Yeah, she gets to do a lot. 
I'm probably going to, like, as soon as the mics come off, I'm going to ask you questions about the character because I just don't want to give anything away okay. on the thing. But I just ha- I have some ideas and I have some theories. And Is there anything else that you want to plug or anything? What are you excited about right now? Are you joyful about, like, what's your, where, where does your joy live? In terms of? Like, which is what makes you like happy. work or? In general, like, when you need to feel joyful, like, where do you, where do you go for that? Ah. Uh- you know, my f- my family came into town because we had the La Llorona premiere, mm-hmm. and they don't really like scary movies. <laughs> and so I had my mom and my dad and my sister and my my sister's older than I'm like and her kids, and uh, and they're older, they're not young, and and uh, everybody there, Steve's family, had everybody there watching a scary movie, which is something that nobody would ever do, dressed up to go to a premiere, and that made me pretty happy to have everybody around and sort of watching this crazy horror movie. That was pretty fun. I get joy from people, really. Good. To be honest, I think that's always been my my go-to. I really like people. Well, judging by the parties that I went to back... Uh, they were when, fun, weren't they? <laughs> I wish we could really do it again. Fun. We had crazy people there, too. Yeah. So many fun times. It gets harder when you're an adult. Ah, oh, that's loud. Ah, oh, they're gonna break something. Ah, oh, fuck. Ah, oh, it's late. I can't, you know... Yeah, we would put in a ton of effort, too, like dressing up our little apartment for everybody to come over. I remember. And we'd have to bribe our neighbor. Like, we're going to have a big party. You can come. We should just rent a neutral space and just have, like... I know. But then everyone by 11 o'clock would be like... Well, a lot of everybody's, like, super famous now. (laughs) We were all struggling back then, and they're too busy for us. Yeah, they have families and careers and stuff. Oh, well, we'll we'll always have that. And we'll always have Sanjay and Craig. Sanjay and Craig. Guys like us. And guys like us, which, by the way, is... There is a dead zone. There, there, it does not exist on YouTube. Well, it's- maybe that's good. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Everything exists on YouTube. Not guys like, like us. There's no, there's no trace. But I just want to see it. I just want to remember it. I probably have some VHSs hidden away in some oh, might have gone up in storage, though. Viewing might have gone up in flames. We're going to do a viewing party. A viewing party? Yeah, we're going to do a guys like us viewing party. Okay, I vote for your house. Okay, that's fine. Yeah, yeah we can come to a viewing party. You house. have a screening room? Yeah, of course you do. Downstairs. Um, it was good to see you, Linda Carlini. Thank good you so much for being too, here. It was good to catch up with you. I know. It's nice to see you. It always is. I hope it doesn't sound hokey to say this, but I'm always so excited for you and proud of whenever I see you on something. And I'll just like nudge my wife. I go, that's Linda. I don't know. It's just like it's so – it just feels good to watch the world discover what you know about your friends. Thank you know? You. And Thank so you. I, I feel that way for you too. I mean I feel like I saw you. I was like, I'm so happy for you. I mean it just is <laughs> – it's, I think we all came from a place of not knowing what this was going to bring to us and really, I mean, it's, it's, it's hard to break in. Yeah. And, and so we sh- to break in, in and keep doing it is, is, uh, is wonderful. I, I don't know if you feel like this, but I always feel like I'm just starting. Like I'm just starting to get my momentum. Yeah, it always it always does feel like Even that because there's like a lot of stopping. Something and, years, yeah, because yeah, there's a lot of stopping and starting, and your body doesn't. We don't really have a way to quantify. I mean, there are ways to quantify. They're not always real. It's like how many likes, how many awards, how many this. But like the real, it's very difficult to quantify what we do, and so. And you don't ever feel like, I did it! You know? like I, Yeah, I, right. And so it, it always does feel like that. But I think that's, in a way, it's good because it fuels the, it fuels the process. And if you did feel like, hey, I did it, then you just, you, I think you would just kind of like stop. You're like, I, don't yeah. know what else to, I don't know what else to do. So that, that, that does keep it going. It does. That's why, I mean, for me too, doing different things. Like this year, I have a lot of different strange things coming out that are so different from each other. But I was like, fuck it. I'm just going to do what I think is fun. That's or, all you Or, or whatever do. challenges me or whatever I'm afraid of. Those are the things I'll say yes to this year. That's all you can do. Yeah. So, Linda Cardellini, this has been amazing. And um, 
And now we'll talk about the real shit when you turn off the microphone. Now we're talking about... <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, You're about to hear some good stories. Yeah, yeah. And we sign off with uh, Jinkies. Jinkies. Thank you. I lost my glasses. <laughs> oh, damn it. That wasn't even good. I got a better one in there somewhere. I was figuring to go up and work on it and go, come to come back. I, I, did this, I was doing this great at home. Yeah, yeah. I'll leave you like 25 voicemails of me doing Jinkies. Yeah, you show up in the turtleneck. <laughs> Jesus Christ, Linda, what the fuck? No, I really need... Can we record this now? Is it too late to tag yeah, it on? Yeah, yeah. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You've just listened to episode number 999 of the ID10T podcast. This is Word Salad Rap. And rap with just an R this time, you guys. Hey, your old dad can make jokes too, can he? Uh, sorry, I don't know why I'm in dad joke mode. Um, I'm just excited because Sanjay and Craig was so much fun. Obviously, Linda played Megan. I played Craig. And... Um, Matt Jones was Hector, and Malik Panchuli was uh, Sanjay, and we did a t- we did a lot of musical episodes on the show, and this one in particular was incredible. Um, I wish I could recall the guy's name who did the music for that show because all the songs were so earwormy they would get caught in my brain uh, because I loved them so much. I would go, I would listen to them regularly. Uh, just like rip the audio off and put them in my my iTunes, and uh, this song is no exception because uh, Snoop Dogg came in uh, for this one. Uh, he played a character named Street Dog, and um, but he's, he's basically Snoop on the show, and so uh, this song is called uh, Our Block, <laughs> and I uh, pulled the audio from it. I hope that's okay. I mean, I was on the show. I mean, come on. I don't. I don't even know if they're still airing them, but uh, you know, there's a sliver of people who were pretty fanatical about Sanjay and Craig, and uh, I absolutely, absolutely loved doing that show. But again, I, was the t- I, I, kept, get, I kept taking these voiceover jobs, getting these voiceover jobs where my characters would scream at the top of their lungs, and Craig was, Craig was so loud, uh, so loud. But uh, the show was created by Jay Howell, who's an amazing artist, that you should check out. Uh, I'm sure you've seen his work before, and also Jim Dershberger. and uh, it was a it was a pleasure. So, uh, without further ado, here's a word salad rap, R A P, uh, at the end of ID Tinty number nine ninety nine. It's our block. It's me, Chris Hardwick, and now I'm Craig. Chris, Craig, Craig, Chris, Chris, Craig. See, it's just I'm just louder. That's the secret. It's a secret to comedy, you guys. Just get louder. Check out our block. Our block. It's all about our block. It's obvious we own it. Our friends are in the sidewalk. That lawn over there, it may look pristine, but in the middle is a stump shape just like a screen. This place feels like a nice change of pace. Sick on my block, it's all about cars and gold chains. On your block, it's more like enjoying those small things. Uh, sort of, maybe. You ain't seen much of hunger yet, baby. Our block. Our block. Our block. It's all about our block. Oh, yeah! That sounds good, Megan. Like a record scratch. Hey, guys! 
Oh my, what? Is that Street Dog? My man, you rocked it at the Domaplex last week. You know this guy? Nah, but we're cool. We're cool, little homie, but if you don't mind, keep it on the down dizzle, I'm here to unwind. No problem. Wing? They call me Easy Weeze and this is Scratch and Sparkle. Hector. What? Nothing rhymes with sparkle. Grandma's scoop scoop with gum on the wheel. Going up and down with this groove that I feel. Hey, yo, Sparkle, show your scratch appeal. <laughs> Girl, don't scratch it, sound me. Easy Weezy, nice howling. Where your kids get your grub, man, this doggy stomach's growling. I know just the place. They got games in the front. The back is where the wings are made. The cook has hooks. The girls are cute. I'm talking about the frockade. This is where we go when we want to chillax. We serve a variety of hot and cold snacks. The cushions, cup, our buttocks. The sauce is good and spicy. You want to go volcanic? You'll have to ask nicely. That's pretty good. I'm glad to hear you love them. We all knew that you would. Those wings were expired. You kids weren't joking, man. Lundgren's got it all. But is there any good music in a town this small? Well, here's the tough skulls. You're wearing their shirt. We sang with them once, but it made my throat hurt. I like they style, man. These tough skulls to shred. You think they mind if I join in? No, Street, go ahead. Street Dog and the Dixons together. Easy on the eyes when the skulls get bumping, you feel the full rise. Your scabs get burning, later up on down in here. Let my girl miss bumpers, put some wax in your ear. Scanning complete. Enjoy your burrito. Nancy's love story could have been ripped right out of the pages of one of her own novels. She was a romance mystery writer who happens to be married to a chef. But this story didn't end with a happily ever after. When I stepped into the kitchen, I could see that Chef Brophy was on the ground, and I heard somebody say, Call 911. As writers, we'd written our share of murder mysteries. So when suspicion turned to Dan's wife, Nancy, we weren't that surprised. The first person they look at would be the spouse. We understand that's usually the way they do it. But we began to wonder, had Nancy gotten so wrapped up in her own novels... There are murders in all of the books. ...that she was playing them out in real life? You can listen to Happily Never After, Dan and Nancy, early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts.